hold on. Afternoon, everyone. Uh, we're just setting up there. As Jim says, I don't know if you caught that there. We're live on TikTok. We're live on Instagram. We're live on all the social media platforms, your YouTube channel. Um, so good afternoon to all. Jim, I thought I would just, we'll do a wee recap where we finished off last week because um, there was a lot going on in your yep. journey so far. Yeah. And at this point, um, I think <laughs> still is, yeah, but from a professional side of things, uh, yep. you were talking about obviously being, you were tied in a lot of contracts with the franchise, obviously with the offices, your right move obligations, the cars and things. And at that point, you didn't really, you weren't really making, you weren't really earning money with the business. So it was, yeah. you were kind of running um, all these uh, things and paying for all these outgoings without making uh, a great income at the time. So that was a lot of pressure. I and mean, I think we covered in your personal life how that was felt untrue. You were burning the candle at both ends. You were using alcohol at, at some points to, to obviously navigate your way through that and help you kind of deal with things, probably obviously in the wrong way. Yeah. And yeah. you just purchased a property, um, which was a kind of, you were using it, you were residing there because things were becoming uh, difficult in your personal life um, due to obviously all the stresses yeah. that you had. Yeah. So. We'll everybody else for my failures basically uh -huh. it's everybody else's fault except mine how i've got into this position is everybody else's fault except mine it's mm. like the reality isn't it? let me just talk about this this morning uh, actually on monday i have turned into rich dad by the way <laughs> this is weird i mean rich dad isn't keith cunningham i don't mean yeah. kiyosaki because rich dad is not kiyosaki he wrote mm -hmm. the book but it's yeah. real about keith cunningham was rich dad now I've turned into Keith Cunningham, and, and Keith Cunningham, when I went to the workshop back in Paris in 2010 or thereabouts, um, I remember speaking to Keith, and he was saying, you know, um, I actually, he, he, he blew me away. He said, like, you know, I actually put thinking time in my diary. Would you believe that? Yeah. And I'm like, really? You put thinking time? And I thought, holy shit, I put thinking time in my diary, and it's today in the morning. Yeah. Because I'm sitting going over. I mean, Ian is a great sounding board. Ian's one of my mm -hmm. friends, and I go for a walk with him. But we talked about all this morning about tax planning and also about future planning and all about pension planning and wealth creation and all the rest of it. Ian's a great sounding board for that, and we talk about this in, in immense detail. But literally, that is now my thinking time. And in the afternoon after this wealth creation show, it's now my planning time. So literally on Monday, it's thinking time and planning time in my diary for that very reason. So I've literally turned into... Keith Cunningham, in terms of how I'm doing things, um, and and I'm and I just I just Penny just dropped this morning for that reason, and I thought, wow, that is something else. Other thing as well is I've I've seen this this is the blind side that you've got to watch for. Now, the blind side is where you believe the version of events that are about to play out is your belief in how these events will play out. The reality is. It's the blind side you've got to watch out for. Now, I don't know about you, Richard, but I constantly see right now is Kiyosaki popping up and every other pundit under the sun popping up, uh, predicting doom and gloom for the yeah. economy and for the outlook of even the housing market and wealth creation and overall. But what I see as pattern behaviour is, like, these are the same videos that I saw three years ago over the last three years getting regurgitated and repurposed again to tell me the same story as what I knew three years ago, or what they said three years ago as well. I remember Simon Zushi, who's a great, fantastic uh, uh, investor and also trainer as well. I remember Simon Zushi after the you know property boom actually apologising to his professional clients because he said he got it wrong and predicting the doom and gloom when yeah. the property boom had happened. 
And, and, and I'm convinced that this is still the case because I, I keep asking myself every single time, what is it I don't see that everybody else is predicting? And that's, that's the... That is the mark of somebody understands where things are going and understands how to create true wealth. They don't just see the they don't just see their own blinker view of the world and how they think this picture is going to pan out. They actually look at what is the blind side that I can't see? What is the things that I'm 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 talking about right now? It, it's happening in this world economy. I believe it's going to play out. I, I believe a different version of events, by the way, than everybody else is predicting. What is, what, what is it I can't actually see that they're actually trying to tell me is actually going to be happening in the next year or two years? That's the thing that you've got to worry about the most. And that's, what, that's why thinking time is so valuable to look at that side. Now, we also talked about things like the downside. Remember, we talked about this in previous wealth creation shows yeah. about mitigating for the downside. Now, we know the um, rent uh, in terms of property. We know that universal credit or the housing benefit, local housing allowance, has been frozen for the third year in a row. However, I played for that downside years ago. And I never had any expectation that that would go up in my calculations. So therefore, what what has happened doesn't really affect me that much. Whereas everybody else is, is running about like Henny Penny, like the world's caving in, because they never ex they never expected that to happen. Because they, they had different expectations, yeah. They never mitigated for that to happen. They never actually played that downside in the fact that if that did happen, where would they be? And even if that was even worse than where it is just now, where would they be financially right now as well? Could they weather that storm? This is what Warren Buffett talks about, is when the tide goes out, you better not be caught swimming naked. Yeah. And this is what the downside is all about, and this is why I'm trying to identify it. So I don't know if anybody else understands where we are with this. I just don't see the downside. I still can't see it, and I still keep asking my question, what am I not seeing that everybody else sees? Or is it just the fact that everybody's regurgitating all the shit that everybody else is pouring out? Oh, yeah. Robert Kiyosaki said it, so it must be right. I'm going to tell everybody else this as well. Warren Buffett said it, because it might be... But Warren Buffett, some of the clips that are actually getting played by Warren Buffett as well is from three or four years ago, if not more, on channels which are not official Warren Buffett channels. Mm -hmm. So is it the fact that there's a, there's a bigger picture or a hidden agenda here? that there's a group of people in the investment world that want us to see the world in their way so they can actually take advantage of it. Yeah, that's, that's a good what, point. That's the question I'm trying to ask myself and trying to answer as well. Is this what I is this what I actually see? Or do I have any proof to back up that? Or, or is it just the fact that we are where we are and your version of events is probably the right version of events? It's going to, it's, it could pan out at this point in time. And on a, on a typical example of a spreadsheet, in other words, if, if, if nothing else changes and the world stays as it is, we know it's not going to happen like that, and the world stays as it is right now, is your version of events the events that are going to pan out? The answer to that is yes. So what else needs, what else can change and what else needs to change or what else might change that might affect you and your wealth or the income that you're creating. 
And then what is the downside out of that happening? And are you protected against that downside? That's true. That's true wealth creation. Yeah. And that demonstrates the importance of, like you say, thinking time and then planning time at the back of that once you've thought it through. Um, I think if anybody's unsure, like you say, Jim, we've done previous wealth creation shows which uh, show how to do risk analysis um, and obviously and plan and planning and how important that is. Um, so, yeah, it's a really important part of um, any journey. And I think I had, uh, interestingly enough, Richard, I had somebody come on to one of our Scottish property network. Yeah, uh -huh. Scottish property network. I'm an admin for these that, that yeah. network, um, as well as other people are admins. Um, but I now get people coming on there and saying, you know, we're or, or Scottish Scottish Landlords Network, which Sam Dyer's got, uh, or you've got the Spin Network, which Laura Houston's got. Um, we've got all these private property networks. Um, now, we keep getting asked, um, I'm thinking we're going on a wealth creation course, or I'm thinking we're going on so-and-so's course. You know, you know, they're prominent names in the property investment world, or so to, be, so, so to speak. Uh, they're well-known names, put it that way. I, I wouldn't say they're prominent. I wouldn't say they're gurus either. <laughs> um, they just want to sell courses, let's be honest. Uh, and then there's any way to sell courses, that's the whole point. So there, there's somebody came on last night and actually said, you know, I'm, I'm, want, I'm wanting to go on a course, I'm new to this, what course should I be going on? And my immediate response was, look, to be honest, pal, I, I've literally created a channel on the Five Properties Wealth Creation, on, on this TV, Five Properties, yeah. on our YouTube channel, Five Properties yeah. TV. I've created um, a series called the Millionaire Mindset Series, which is 40 yeah. episodes. I've created the Investment Strategy Series, which is 40 episodes. We've created the Wealth Creation Show, which we're up to, I think, 53 episodes. We're from 57. <laughs> yeah, 57. Yeah. So in a combination of all these playlists, you have literally got all the information for you to be a millionaire, not just in property, but in general, in any wealth creation strategy, a millionaire at some point in time. Out of everything that we've talked about in these series, if you listen to them and study them, it is literally a master's degree in wealth creation that we've put down on this on on in film and in also yeah. in podcast so why would you need to go and seek the advice of and pay for it from someone else oh i'm wanting to get there quicker newsflash you are not going to get there quicker all they're doing is telling you what you know already from these channels that we are doing it on mm -hmm. that's all we're doing there's no hidden agenda i've got no desire to run online courses <laughs> and spend my time on earning less money from online courses than I'm earning right now and I could earn in, and I will earn in the future. I've got no desire to do that. This, the whole point of putting this down is I can't be arsed writing a book. Let's be yeah, honest. I was just going to say, Jim, just to clarify, obviously people might wonder, well, why are you doing this? Um, and like, why are you doing the wealth creation show? Why are you telling your story? And yeah. it's, you wanted to document it and you want it to be there. Um, to be looked back on, but also for people to to learn from it. Yeah, absolutely. And and it will it will it's really just primarily for my family for yeah. generations to come. If we've if we've got generations, Ben, Scott, and Tony, it's no good time you had kids. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> but I've got to, I've got to pass it to somebody because this is all the yeah. point of me doing all this. Um, otherwise, it'll just go to it'll go to my brother's um, uh, generation of children as well. They'll be jumping for joy. Um, <laughs> it'll go to my brother's, or, or, or you know, my brother's is the only other uh, line of uh, of what we call bloodline of bloodline, family yeah. outside of what we do. Um, so it'll probably go to them if it doesn't go to any of mine. 
so I think that's why that, this is why I'm doing it. It's nothing else other than actually for that reason. Now we'll all take questions at the end, by the way. So by all means, can ask as many questions as you want. We will go through all your questions at the end. We're more than happy to do that. We're 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 perfect to do that as well at the end. Uh, but let's talk about the journey. So the journey so far and i'm looking at my notes here hence the reason why i'm looking away because i'm thinking we've, we've got to the alcohol infused and i'm still yeah. using alcohol as most people do as a, a self-medication or you know like let's go out for a drink and that'll uh, make you relax not but, just now in your story at yeah. this point no no, no. Not presently i kept it years ago <laughs> yeah. but that, that's what actually happens so some of the things that were actually happening i was i was there in nothing by the way as in a stage and i never was uh, until you know, and probably until actually un until we became five properties in 2012. Mm -hmm. yeah. So literally, I went through the whole time earning nothing at all and building a business. Uh, we had legal challenges in between as well because we had been running a franchise system, and because of the um, because of the the lack of knowledge or experience the master franchisor had in what they were doing, they gave us contracts for self-employed associates which gave the impression that they were classified as what we call workers. Now, who's go, who went through that just recently was Uber, Uber taxis. They went through that recently. And also Purple Bricks. They went through that recently as well. Where there's a, there's a fine line between an employee and self-employed. But there's another one called workers. And a worker is in between. It, you try to pretend they're self-employed. This is what Uber and Purple Bricks was trying to do. Oh, they've got self-employed estate agents. And this is what century 21 and all franchises run but the problem is if you're in control of what they do on a day-to-day -day basis they can reclassify themselves as a worker so i got an initial we got an initial legal challenge um and taken to the tribunal at that time by one of the one of the um associates you know the self-employed estate agent saying that we were in control of what they did and they were now a worker now being a worker actually gives you the complete rights and of an employee so, and the rights to minimum wage, rights to holiday pay, rights to, you know, um, national insurance contributions, national insurance, yeah. all these different things as a worker. And um, now it'll be rights to pensions as well. Now, it was only two and a half thousand pounds they were challenging us on. So, you know, we went again. I relied on the master franchise or get, you know, been able to navigate me through this. Oh, I've got experience to this degree of taking us through this. Uh, remember, this is all about the history about the lessons I've learned. So you could learn by this as well. I've, I, I know what I'm doing. I, I've been here before with employer, employee, employer tribunals. Um, so I'll, I'll represent you, he said. So we're sitting there, and I'll tell you what, it was a dog's dinner. I went there, we basically got wiped out. And I was told to pay her £2,500 because he tried to represent us herself. But more importantly, it left the floodgates open for the rest of them to try and... Now, the rest of them, to be honest, it's the old thing about they wouldn't take advantage of it because they knew damn fine they were self-employed. But you did have another one that popped up and says, I'm wanting £9,000 out of you. Now, again, I went to the master franchisor who hadn't protected me from before because they gave me the contract in the first place, said it would be full protection against things like this and said, look, you know, we need you to help us out with this. And it was basically they washed their hands us and let us yeah. get on with it and says, you're on your own. I'm like, wait a minute, but I bought into a franchise for that reason. Now, I'm tied into franchise contracts, and I really want to get in a legal wrangle because I'm trying to keep my head above water. Do I need another fight here? Absolutely not. So you can see the dark space I'm beginning to get in. It's like yeah. narrowing down and down and down and down, and I'm going deep, and I'm, I'm literally not swimming anymore. I'm starting to drown at this point in time. So I thought, 
we're going to have to, I'm going to have to take a stand on this. And, and it was like every single year we managed to get ahead of the ahead of it and actually make some sort of profit. It got wiped out by legal challenges. The first year was that one. And then the next year, it was another legal, it was that legal challenge. And I thought, I'm going to have to take a stand because every other self-employed associate is going to line up again if I don't do something about this. So I spent, we invested of our profits, £22,000 with a solicitor. That's how much it cost to defend ourselves to, to avoid £9,000 payout. But remember, it bigger picture. Yeah, I was just going to say. employed a specialist to do this. Now, I'll tell you what, the specialist wiped the floor with them. Came up with case study. This is the importance of lessons I've learned. Get the right people to represent you regardless. Because at midnight was, I lost 22,000. You're not allowed to recoup it, by the way, on, on tribunals, unless you can demonstrate it's malice. So if somebody could take your tribunal, no bother. You have to outlay all these legal costs. And you've got no repercussions to take that person later on for the costs. Nothing's awarded to you, by the way. It's your cost, whether you like it or not. So 22,000 in to defend myself against 9,000. We won. And you know at the end how we won? Because it was clearly demonstrated. They said, basically the tribunal said, if it was solely based on the contract at Century 21 had given you, this person would be classified as a worker. You'd be due the money and everybody else that worked with you. But because of the working practices, which we did with the associates, the self-employed estate agents, we allowed them to come and go as they pleased. We allowed them to replace somebody in the office for them. I mean, you took part in that as well, didn't you, Richard, in the early days? You were able to sit in for Angela, for example, and, and actually sit in the yeah. office on her behalf as a self-employed associate. She employed you to do that. And we yeah. had no standing at that. It was not our decision whether to act to accept or deny that. It's her as a self-employed associate made that decision. But because of the work, these working practices, the tribunal clearly said that you've demonstrated clearly beyond a shadow of a doubt because of case law previously that they are self-employed. Mm-hmm. And that's how we won it for that very reason. So that contract that we were given by Century 21 never even protected us. What did they and, do? And they were assured that it would have in, in the beginning. Yeah, deadly squat. They never bothered. They never recompensed me. They never contributed towards the legal costs I had to fight myself. And what they did was they then took that judgment and rolled it out to the rest and of the office owners. Yeah. And used it and said, oh, this is what Jim's done. Oh, this is really good. And all the other office owners went, oh, that's fantastic. That's brilliant that Century 21's done that for us. Century 21 did nothing. The UK it's might add, not, the, not the US. US, is, this is, US isn't involved in this. Century 21 UK, the master franchiser, did absolutely nothing. But they took all the credit to the other office owners and said, this is what we've proved at a tribunal that they're actually self-employed by your working practices and used that. Because I was getting contacted by the office owner saying, how did it work for you and what did you do? And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm training all the other office owners again, and I'm having to pay a fee every single month to run these franchises, and actually a percentage of my income. Yeah. So I'm building their business and telling them and avoiding all the legal challenges for them and having to cough up for it, as well as everything else. Can you see how that million pounds is about to be lost? Yeah, yeah. 
So that was extremely difficult for me, especially if we are not paying our selling. We can't pay our sellers, and there's another lot uh, um, wiped out. The next yes. one came. The next one came is the credit crunch. Yeah. So the first couple of years, 2006, 2007, we're in 2008 now. We're in the credit crunch. Now, just before that, I'm still buying property, by the way. Mm-hmm. So in that period of time, here's some lessons here. New builds. Yeah. Personally, for God's sake, don't touch new builds. <laughs> Perfect example. Mill Street, which was Teal Mill at the time, next to the yeah. of a football ground in Kirkcaldy, was a new development. And I thought everybody was jumping on the bandwagon before the credit crunch happened. We were all buying new builds and thinking, we're all making money. It's like, we've locked in this amount, we've locked in that amount. And they're all, and I'm thinking, am I missing a trick here? And I started to deviate from my, my, my formula. See how that can, yeah. now this is the thing. If you've got a formula that takes you in a straight line, okay, <laughs> like this, mm-hmm. and it yeah. takes you right in a straight line to where you're going, why on earth are you doing that? But this is what has started to happen with me. I started to take my off the ball, and I started to, to oh, what's over here? Oh, what's over there? Now this and, and listening to chatter from other people, which uh, then, yeah. And honestly, when you start to do due diligence of other people with the mouth that was coming out of their mouth and what they were saying, it's like they had diddly squat to rub mm-hmm. it together. They were just saying that, but I was actually beginning to believe that because I don't, I don't, remember, I'm still not got anybody more successful than me at this point in time in property investment. Where I am, well, I'm still like the Midas touch in terms okay. of what I was doing. But I thought this was something I could do as well. So I started to, this is, here's a classic. This is what's happening right now. We see it a lot. We see a lot of investors coming along saying, I've got loads of money. I want to buy a property. What about this one? What about that one? What about this one? And we keep telling people, Richard, don't we? For God's sake, hold off. Don't buy it just because you've got money. Make sure the numbers are right. Because there's plenty more out there. Mm -hmm. There's plenty more out there. Just bide your time. This is not a race. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And success is a journey. It is not a destination. So I I fell for this. And I bought four properties off plan at Teal Mill. This is going to surprise you, actually. I paid seventy to 74000 for them in 2006. Do you know what they're worth today? 75,000. And and there's a lesson in itself, isn't it? Now, let's be honest though, we have earned quite a bit of money off them. Yeah, they've been good occupied all the time. There were new builds. But there is one thing that actually ate into the profits quite a bit, and it's the factor fee. Mm -hmm. And I've had to fight them every single year about the factor fees because they've been going up and up and up. And I'm going, wait a minute. Where are you getting your contractors? I even had a legal challenge with them, where I fought them tooth and nail, and then they brought them down by £200 every year, all of a sudden. Everybody else, all the other owners didn't know about this, and they still don't know about this. They were all going, oh, it's great. They brought it down. They managed to mitigate the cost. And it's like, no, no, that's only because Jim had a go at them. Yeah. It cost me £9,000 to have a go at them, by the way. But I wasn't letting anybody dictate to me exactly what, I'm, how, what they're charging me. That's just no one as far as I'm concerned. Now, this is where they get caught up in the minute, di- minutia, the detail. Mm-hmm. I got obsessed with it. I got caught up in this. I got caught up in the legal challenge, how it's going up. Now, in the bigger picture of things, this is only two or three years ago, by the way. 
and the bigger picture things, right? And the amount of time I've been involved in that, and the heartache and the stress of me getting caught up in this minutia detail, and the fact that it's 40 owners, and I've got four of them, so I've got 10% of it. The other 36 couldn't care less, obviously, because we tried to band them together, didn't we, to do something about it, and it all fell on deaf ears. And now I've come to the opinion, it's like, why do I care? Why would I bother? Why would I bother? Why would I bother trying to save an extra £200 a year on four properties? 800 quid a year, knowing what I'm making now. Yeah. It's a different ballpark, completely. But you, it's easy to get caught up in that because you, you, go back caught, yeah. you go back to your old way of thinking, don't you? And then that, again, that's another important lesson where you need to stop and really think things through and use thinking time. Like, is this really a good use of my time? Should I be pursuing this? And then plan what really you should be doing. And that's obviously what you've done. And I like the emotional side get involved in this. Yeah. I like the chimp take over. Yeah. I like the chimp take over without the logical side, the human side actually talking to me. Everybody, if you know the chimp paradox, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you've not read the book Chimp Paradox, read it because it is actually really important to you yeah. in your future. Unless you understand how your mind works, but I let the chimp take over, which is far more powerful than the human on the other side of your brain, the logical side. Mm-hmm. So I let the chimp take over, and that's where you have to control it. Um, so that's, but we still make it, we still make a decent income out of them. I have actually sold them. The great thing is, I was able to sell them to my limited company recently, and I was able to make them, a, a, you know, part of a six, a six property deal, uh, which I had. And I was able to mitigate what was effectively losses against a gain for another property I transferred. So it was a, basically a neutral capital gain. Yeah. And I was able to move five properties out of our name personal with no capital gain because of that into the limited company. And actually, we bought another one from the open market, which you know about. Yeah. And we were able to have no ADS as a result because it's six or more properties. So we didn't. You don't pay ADS or you pay the average amount. I'm not really sure mm-hmm. which one it is. So it's significantly lower than what it is. So there's another lesson there as well. You know, I have a sneaking suspicion that the government really wants bigger landlords to control, just like the social housing providers. This, again, this is thinking time. This is thinking time I talked about this morning to Ian. And I said to him, I have a sneaking suspicion that the Scottish government is, and even the UK government is actually adamant that they want the bigger landlords to take over because they just want to deal with a few people rather than actually deal with all the individuals. Deal with the masses, yeah. That's exactly how the housing associations work. The housing associations have actually um, been told by the government that they want them to merge with each other, the smaller ones, into the bigger ones, so it makes it more cost-effective to run them properly and Mm -hmm. adhere to the amounting bureaucracy it's actually put on them. So why do the... This is why I think they want private landlords, the, the scenario with the corporate landlords being in charge instead of private landlords. Because they, they can deal with just indi- a few individuals rather than a, yeah. rather than a whole lot. People that are on a professional level, and I hate to say it, because obviously there's some private landlords that, you know, they've not got two brain cells, but they're good at making money. Um, but they, they don't understand the dynamic of how you work politically with each with each government. Uh, and how and how to how to see the future and how to see the bigger picture and it becomes difficult for the government to manage these people because they're erratic in their behaviour and as well as some of the people in legislative places <laughs> we know that anyway. 
Uh, and another one as well. So I bought these and I've learned a lesson from that. I did actually buy another one, which was a three bedroom in Kirkconnick, Duddingston. Remember that one? All right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this, this was bought because I actually thought, hey, this is a really good investment. I bought it for 135,000. And this is a really good investment because this, this is my inroad into actually buying, starting to buy houses. Now, remember, this is still at the, this is still at the peak almost, but still the numbers made sense for me in 2007. So 130,000, three bedroom, uh, Charlie style, Betts Homes up in the Durrington Drive area. Now, yep. that still made a decent amount of income, even though it took until probably about 2019 when we sold it. And we only I sold, sold it, it for about 145. So in that time, we've only made about 15 grand on it, but we still made a really good income out of it. And this is my point, because it was a really good area. It was a really good property. I mean, I had an open plan living room. I had a dining room at the back. I had the galley-style kitchen. And then I had the three bedrooms upstairs. And it had the garage to the side with the driveway. So it was a, it was always going to be high occupancy. And the numbers worked at that time. And I never expected rents to go up. I just expected to get the same rent all the time. So the return on investment was, for me, was were tolerable. So that made sense for me to buy that one at that point in time. Yeah. As well as another couple I bought in the time. Now this is all this is all properties that actually were beginning to come to us. Okay. Now this is key here. This is because they were coming to us. They were really coming to us to sell. But what I was doing is, you know, I was just, you know, if, if, if they didn't sell or they maybe fell through, um, I was then saying, okay, it's fallen through. I'll pay the price that it fell through it. Then I'll just, I'll just step in and take it because my numbers make sense at that at that point. I was just going to say it's important to note that you were only doing that when the numbers were right. Yeah, the numbers worked on it. Then, yes. right, okay, I'll now this is actually quite interesting because because I was, you know, this shows how everybody else thinks, how devious everybody else is. Because I was saying to people that I was doing this in century twenty one, they go, "Oh, you're manipulating things." And I'm like, "No, I'm not manipulating anything." It's actually I'm really above board, and I'm actually pointing out to them. I know you had that offer already from someone else in the open market. Their circumstances have changed, so you've lost it. I'll just pay the same price as they're paying. Are you okay with that? Now, I was telling them it was me, and that's yeah. fine under the state if they aren't. And they were going, yeah, that's fine with me, as long as you're paying the same price, and it's a cash deal. Yeah, absolutely. So then I would just step in and buy it. So, you know, the three bedrooms, we bought a three bedroom, two three-bedroom terrace, didn't we? Um, at that time in 2006. No, you weren't there, were you? No, I was, I was <laughs> 2010. Ah, uh, you were 2010. But you were hanging about, because remember, you were before that, you were working with uh, yeah. Angela and, and uh, Mandy. Mandy, because you yeah. were helping them out as part of your, as part of your, what, as a data lease or something like that? Or... I was doing placement through college. Yeah. you are doing placement through college. So that's yeah. how you, that's another lesson, isn't it? Um, yeah. To have people from the college route actually to learn what they're doing on placements and then uh, could be a perfect opportunity to actually employ them full time, which is what happened with you. And now you're the lens director. I know. <laughs> Think about that. Within, within how long? 10 years? Yeah. Yeah, 10 years. Yeah, it's 2018. Yeah. In a placement in college. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well done. <laughs> so, 2006, and they were really good ones. Bought one for 95,000. We bought one for 77,000. Both three bedroom houses made a really good, decent income on them. Uh, and we still hold them today yeah. as a result. Uh, now, no surprise, you know, they've moved up now, probably about 110. They've moved up maybe about, what, 15,000, maybe 15,000, 20,000 each. Okay. Again, I'm not particularly bored about the capital appreciation. 
it's more importantly about the money it cash generates flow. every single month, the cash flow. You know, there's a there's an old saying, and people actually keep getting this mixed up. It was always in accounting world and in the business world, and it was called turnover is vanity, profit is sunny, and that was always the case. But there's an extra one to that. It's called cash flow is king. And I always work on it like that. You know, turnover is funny, profit is sunny, but cash flow is actually the king here. If you, you could be very profitable. This is because I'm an accountant by trade and industry. You could be very profitable, but actually go out of business because you have no cash and you've got nobody to finance you. And you're like, wait a minute, if you're making profit, how would you have no cash? Because all your money is out with debtors. You've given them credit terms and all your suppliers are wanting them paid, are wanting you paid now. And if you've got, if you've, if your debtors have pushed you out, in other words, you're carrying maybe about a million pounds in debtors. Now, remember, I was working with manufacturing companies. If you're carrying and giving credit terms to a million pounds in debtors, and you've got 1.5 million pounds in creditors due, you could be out of business because they're still waiting on their money and you've not got enough cash flow coming in. Even though you could be profitable in your balance sheet because you've got all your money tied up in stock, because stock is not reflected in the, in the profit and loss. Stock is actually put into the balance sheet as an asset, and it's yeah. not there for written off until it's used on the cost of sales when you make a sale against it. So you could be very profitable on the bottom line, but you could have no cash. And that's how I've always worked. Cash flow is king every single time. I couldn't care less about profit. I couldn't care less about turnover. The cash is the most important thing. Taking into account, obviously, you're building up VAT. You're also building up tax as well. Yeah. Uh, so you've got to watch out for that. I mean, <laughs> it's like, yay, we've got loads of cash. Oh, yeah. The VAT bill. It's like, no, we've not got loads of cash. Oh, my <laughs> God, we're due the tax bill at 60 grand. Um, it's <laughs> and it's like, you know, I've, I've paid more tax than I've ever earned in my life in the last year. And <laughs> in, in one year. It's, uh, it just shows you. They're going to get you one way or another. Personal tax, I don't pay that much. But I tell you what, overall in corporation tax and everything else, you pay a huge amount. They'll get you one way or another. So, you know, for people like me, when you say, oh, right, I'm, you know, I've got a really good marginal rate, you're still paying it on your limited company at your own. So you're yeah. still, you'll, you'll be nailed one way or the other. So there's another lesson as well. You'll always get you. There's, there's yeah. usually two rules in, in this world. And you'll not escape death. And you'll not you'll not escape taxes. And my answer is you'll maybe you'll maybe cheat death. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say as well. You'll never cheat the taxes. They'll tell you. They'll it'll but, come back to haunt. The tax man's got hundreds of years to wait to get you. And mm -hmm. the very fact is, uh, they've got they've got powers to go back six years. So if they find an, an anomaly in your accounts, this is why when it comes to repairs and improvements, I'm working on this now. I'm still going back for my accountant saying, can I actually really deduct these against my income for this year? Are you sure about that? Um, because I was under the impression that you weren't able to do that for improvements before a tenant moved in. So I'm still trying to iron that out first before I can actually do that. As far as I'm concerned, it has to be capitalized and it can't be deducted against your revenue because the tenant hasn't moved in and it's from the day you bought it and it's the improvement you did before it moved in. And it's a substantial improvement. So surely it should be capitalized. But they go, no, 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 it can be deducted. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Let's just get this for definite. Yeah. Because I tell you what, if I get this wrong, they'll then go, okay, we can go back six years now and we could look at that. 
and look at all the repairs and improvements for the last six years. And if they find another one four years back, they can go back six years from that point. So they can now be back, they're back 10 years. If they find another one five years back, they can go back another six years. So we're now four, five, and six. We're now, what, 15 years back. Yeah. See how that works. So you've got to be careful, extremely careful. Um, I'll no swear, but never fook with the tax man. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> as an expression because I tell you what and, and the HMRC as well or maybe the customs and excise these these people have got more powers than the police these are the people you don't mess about with because they could literally come in right now with no search warrant or anything take a hold of all my files my laptops and everything and walk out of here with no, for no reason at all that's what they can do Yeah. so these are people you never mess with Especially the next wife, which is the VAT man. The VAT man will come down and take everything away from you, and they don't even have to need to have a reason for doing it. That's how much power they've got over the police. More power than the police. Remember, this is the boys that used to catch all the smugglers in the days of the 1700s, 1600s, you know, back to the, the days of Robert the Bruce, when people mm -hmm. smuggled everything. Um, they, these are these are that people. They've got they they're the people that used to just basically beat people to death. When they caught the smugglers, yeah, and there was no repercussion. There was no nobody answered to it. that. Was it? You're dead. It's like we <laughs> killed you. It was the, the customs and excise. Oh well, you can't do anything about that. Nothing we could do about that. <laughs> no, that's why you don't mess about with them. They, these are important lessons here. That is an important lesson. There's there isn't any way of avoiding it. Um, and when it comes to tax and things, Jim, you mentioned there, and some people might ask because you you said there, personally, you pay quite a minimal tax, but your limited companies pay more. Um, and people might question, well, how is that? But obviously, well, do you want to explain quickly how that, how that is? How it's not your personal tax, it's high, it's your limited companies. Well, you can you can limit companies. What you can do is, for most directors of limited companies, they'll have a limited company. And I would suggest probably everybody, everybody starts yeah. a limited company. Uh, you can consult to your other companies. Uh, therefore, you can take money out that way, which is, uh, and you're both, if you're both that registered or you're not that registered, you can do that as well. Uh, you could actually take it out and you could put it in as a consultancy. Remember, you, you can't be solely working for that company. Remember, I've worked for a number of companies as a yeah. result. I only, I only began to see this bigger picture because I know uh, Three Eyes Investment Company used to invest in VZS Technical Ceramics, which is part of Beaufort PLC, uh -huh. who I used to work for many, many years ago uh, as a financial controller, more or less financial director at that time. And they used to have Alistair, Alistair Ritchie, Hi, Alistair Ritchie. Alistair was our consultant, uh, appointed by the board of Three Eyes as a non-exec director, but he charged us from his limited company a fee um, every single year. And I think, why would he want to do that? Um, see how all the penny drops over all the years, how it all fits yeah. together in a jigsaw. Um, so he used to do that. And I think, why would he Why would he do that? Why would you know, just go in the books as a paid director? Because at that time, he'll pay PAYE, and then he'll have to pay in national insurance. National insurance. So he can get away with doing consultancy. Um, on numerous companies, and a lot, of, a lot of consultants do that. And then what they do is, possible instead of taking income out via the um, PYE route, which is a, a, a employee of the company, because they're shareholders, they can actually take money out as a dividend. Now dividends are taxed at eight point seven five percent. There is no national insurance on dividends. There's an equilibrium coming, by the way. The government is actually coming up, and they're they're deliberately moving up. So they've stopped the dividend income 
you know, they've, I think it was used, I think, I think it was 6% before, they moved up to 8.75. I think they'll move up to 10% tax again. But dividends that you take out of your company are still taxed at the corporation tax rate. They're not, they're not a deduction like what salaries will be. Yeah. Salaries are deductible because you're obviously paying tax that way. So they're deductible and then you get charged your corporation tax rate on it. But dividends aren't. So dividends are taxed to you personally, but they're also taxed through your limited company at 20%. So in actual fact, I'm paying a marginal rate of 28.75%. But it's still, for a lot of directors, it's a lot far less because then you're getting more money in your hand, but you're still paying the full amount of tax anyway. Yeah. I'll probably I'll probably get castigated from some of the wealthier people saying you should be telling people this. <laughs> honestly, honestly, genuinely, there's a lot of people out there that will say you shouldn't be telling people how this works. Um, I couldn't care less. You know, I, I see a, I kind of see an inequity in the system, um, and and it's probably something that I, I like to point out. Um, but the government will do no, do nothing about it because the people in power are all running that way anyway. Doing the same thing, yeah. Of course they do. But why do you think the dividends allowance is getting halved from 2000 to 1000 next year and the tax year coming and then it's getting halved again to 500 pounds and then it'll just disappear yeah because the, the only people that are getting squeezed in the middle is the as the middle as the middle people it's the it's the it's the it's the people that pay ye it's the people that are small businesses these are the people that they go for because there's more money to be made just out of a small increase than the people that are a lot wealthier than a bigger increase that's the difficulty. That's how the government raises money. Uh, that's a, that's another story, yeah. uh, I suppose. Uh, and that's a you know, you know that's a different story completely. But let's let's get back to the journey. Yes. So the credit crunch hits, and it bites. Basically, everything stops overnight, and sales dry up completely. And all these properties are actually devalued overnight, and nothing's selling. Mm -hmm. There's still no income coming in to cover overheads. So what do you do now? We'll have to pivot. I saw an opportunity at that time, actually. There was a big customer, an asset management company. And I tell you what, I used to go to conversation. I used to go to, you know, the dinners that everybody would have. And all I used to hear about was everybody castigating this asset management company all the time, talking ill of them. Now, this is a customer of theirs at that point in time. And I'm thinking... You're slagging off your customer. That's no that can't that's no right. You know how 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 it was a pittance they made off of these asset management companies. Asset management companies were basically repossession companies. Yeah. Um. So, I saw an opportunity to work on this. Now, I had been working on them already for about three years to try and get business off of them because I know we needed business at that time to keep going, and it just so happens. After three years of knocking on doors, of emailing the directors, of, you know, trying my best, I went to one of the landlord shows at uh, Sal, so yeah. it was at our Dynamic Earth, and I think you might have been there at that time, possibly. I think I was with, I was with you at that one, yeah. yeah. And I bumped into that guy, and uh, and it just so happens, it was, he was on the stand from that asset management company, and he said, I know the person you didn't speak to. He says, I'll put you in touch with him. And he put me in touch with the right person. And they went, we'll give you a go, see how you get on. I think the first time it didn't go too well because we just didn't understand their systems. It was quite, a, yeah, they've got a certain way of doing things. 
Yeah, but I tell you what, I learn. I'm a I'm a first learner. It, it's like you know, it's like the apprentice. You're sitting there and you've done your pitch, and then the person goes to you. That's not exactly what we'd want to see, mm-hmm. and you get a lot of the apprentices walking away and going and just leaving it at that. Whereas one jumps up and goes, well, I'm sure we could work on that. I'm sure we can adapt that to exactly how your system works. And that's essentially what I did. And lo and behold, that year, it kept us above water. Now, somebody's got to do these sales, let's be honest, because yeah. they're, they're happening whether you like it or not. And it was, a, it, was a, it, was a, it was a blessing in disguise for us. Because I tell you what, that year, it made a significant part of our income. And I would probably say it was about 70% of the income that we brought in was through that route in that year in the credit crunch and over the years the unfortunate side of that is you're not allowed to buy any of these properties yeah i know <laughs> anybody related or connected to you can't buy them either so i couldn't do anything at all and i saw all these opportunities disappearing right from out under my feet see how that million pounds is lost yeah. i would argue i've probably lost more than a million doing what i've done I definitely, I would argue I'd lost more than a million. So I'm just saying how I lost my first million. And it's like, well, how I've really lost millions after that. Because the 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 amount of property that I could have bought or I could have had members buying. Now, I, would, I never, ever did this, but I know there's certain other people in certain other franchise organizations that were caught doing this. Yeah. And it's on record. They were caught doing this. They were caught working asset management groups. They were getting ghost companies to buy these properties in their husband's name. No naming any names from another franchise, bigger franchise organization. She was actually the number one. She was their number one estate agent in their organization. Her husband was buying them. He was then doing them up and flipping them for a huge profit. And he was, he was, they were caught doing it. And it was all over the newspapers and everything like that. Yeah. Um, so it's on public record, but I would that that's I that was way before I'd actually done that because I thought if you're told that you shouldn't be buying them, you shouldn't know be buying them because you've got insider information effectively. That's like insider share dealing, yeah. um, known full well that these properties were probably undervalued, but they were undervalued to a degree. And I cut I kept trying to explain this to the people that were actually trying to buy. You know, all the investors that were coming along at that time, I kept saying to them, look, you know, because they've got no heating and it's all been drained down. Because they've got, now when I was buying, when I was buying repossessed properties, way before that, way before we started as the agency, I knew straight away that the drain down the heating system, the, the switch off the electrics, they cannot give guarantees on them, therefore they assume that they don't work. But the likelihood is they do. 99% of the time, you just switch all these back on and fill them yeah. back up and everything works. So you're instantly on about £10,000 on the valuation because you've done yeah. that. But they can't guarantee, so they downgrade the value. For that reason. Therefore, you can see where the benefit is in upsell straight away as soon as you switch it all back on and, and, and you could literally flip that property in the next day with all these things working and actually turn a profit. But we weren't allowed to do any of that, so we couldn't touch that. So all these opportunities passed through our fingers and passed by. Um, but there was people, you know, it, it, we know, I think we still keep in touch with some of these people today yeah. that are actually, they were heavily invested in these properties at the time. They got it. When we were explaining to them that there's a golden opportunity here and you've got a golden opportunity to, 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 to see a property investment and actually and actually benefit for the future. Now, it could have gone the other way, to be honest. 
um, benefit to the future, then then it's there for you. And they worked their numbers. Uh, they were not connected to us. I might express that they were not connected to us. We we're not related to us. We don't. We didn't know them at the time or anything like that. They just took. A, they just saw the opportunity. They ran with it, and they're extremely successful landlords today. Yeah, and investors today as well for that reason because they saw that opportunity. But we, but I couldn't touch it. So yeah. all that opportunity um, went by, but other people uh, got that opportunity as well. So that's what kept us afloat. Again, we're still not taking any income out of this, out of this business. Literally, the business was worth nothing. But everybody on the face of it saw the branded cars, they saw the success that we were doing, they saw the property sales, they saw the boards, they saw the offices. And they were all immediately going up to me and going, they couldn't be very proud at how successful this is for you. And I'm like, if only you knew. Uh, I just did. I was, I spoke to Linda the other day when we, Linda Martin, when we spoke, um, when she came to see me, we had a wee chat yeah. on uh, Friday, but I actually spoke to her and said, uh, I was completely embarrassed. Um, and imposter syndrome, isn't it? It's the very fact that, you know, I, I, you know, everybody's praising me, saying that, you, oh, it's very successful and, Look how successful you are. And I'm thinking, if only you knew. Now, you could actually say that the other way. You could say, if only you knew. <laughs> and they go, wow, it's even better than I think. You know how you say it? Yeah. Um, so I just had to keep my mouth shut and thought, because if you tell everybody it's a disaster, it's like you're not making any money. Immediately, your brand drops and your success drops. And everybody, everybody leaves. It's like rats leaving the same ship. But equally at that time as well. As you could see, 70% of my income's going out because every, everything that's getting listed, all the self-employed estate agents are making 70% of that. So all the top line, this is top line income, what 70% off. You think just eat is a nightmare for restaurants at 20 and 30% of their top line income. I had people knocking off 70% of my top line income. And then Century 21 was taking 8%, and I was left with 22%. Literally left with nothing. Nothing to run that business on. And I was supplying the offices, paying for all the rents, all the telephones. I was paying for all the rates. I was thing, all, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was paying for all these things. I was paying for, for sale boards. I was paying for the websites, thousands of pounds. I was paying for all the advertising and marketing, thousands of pounds, out of 22% of that income. You can see how you've got to keep dipping, dipping into your pocket. Yeah. And literally, that's what that's what started to take. Uh, that's what that's what started to take its toll, uh, and started to eat into us. And then the worst thing ever could happen. Gordon, um, Gordon was actually driving to an appointment, and you know, I was at this point. I was actually getting to the point of I need to become an estate agent. Credit crunch is here. It's easy for associates to walk away because they had no commitment. They've got no contract, really. They can end it in one month. So they all started to disappear. We're up at 20. We're bringing a decent income. At least that was covering costs because they were paying £300 per desk, you know, where they were in. At least that was covering costs. But they started to disappear. It was easy for them to walk away. They weren't committed to everything. I was. And I still had things like I had bought at this time. I bought 22 North Street. And I bought it. And I, tra I tracked that down because it was global video before. And I bought it for 200000 210000 I spent 36000 doing it up. So it was £246,000 I had in as well. And mm -hmm. skin in the game of buying the office. And then almost, uh, and everybody kept telling me, well, once you have an office in Glen office, we'll be really successful. 
So I bought the office in Glen Office, then everybody left. Because <laughs> <laughs> the credit crunch came, and I'm stuck with an office that's empty. And I'm like, oh my God, how are we going to staff this? So then we're having to pay for staff now, which we didn't have before. I'm having to employ somebody. Um, and then that's when I thought, I had to say to Gordon, I'll have to become an estate agent. I can't, I can't sit on the sidelines anymore. I have to get involved in this. I have to earn money because there's money coming in all the time. There's referrals coming into me because everybody knows me from being a landlord. And then what they're doing is you're getting 70% of my income because I'm just passing it on to you for you guys. And a lot of people weren't making any effort. They were just getting money off me for nothing. Basically, they handed to them, yeah. And I'm just going to sign properly up. It's like, oh, well, Jim's, I'll just go and sign up and I'm getting 70% of that. You're doing all the work selling it anyway. And all I'm doing is viewing. So they were getting 70% of income for doing viewings. If sometimes not even doing viewings at all because the owners were doing it. So you can see how that could become difficult. I tell you what, there was one or two shining stars in this organization. Jack, Angela, Mandy. Yeah. That's the three I would probably rate. And I would probably have I would probably have them today if it had worked out a bit better. And I had learned to manage people better because it was never it was never something I I never wanted to manage people. No. And it's a difficult <laughs> thing to do. I had spoke to a business owner the other now, it's self-employed. She says she's been, I'm just walking out of it now, she said. Says, really, you know, it's long hours, it's weekends, it's seven days a week, it's 24 hours a day. And for what? To earn less than what you can in a paid, a paid position, which actually does Monday to Friday, 9 to 5. Why would I want to be self-employed then? That's how most that, that's how most businesses, most people think being self-employed is loads of money. People that are self-employed get paid 20% than it does for the average salary of someone that is employed. Yeah. And they don't work all the hours. Yeah, I think people think self-employed, obviously, is the extra money and all this extra time, but really you're working twice as hard and for less money. Oh, twice, I would think. I would argue. <laughs> <more. laughs> and then you've got the stress, you've got the anxiety, you've got yeah. everything on top of it. So you could see how that can happen. So I'm buying 22 North Street, and then the market drops, and retail properties dropped as well. Literally, I got out my skin, the, the, you know, the skin of my teeth, and I actually sold it uh, just last year for 200000 so there's, there's a £46,000 loss there, which I can only offset ongoing against any other capital sales from that same business. You can't offset that against any profit tax. So I can make loads of money in terms of the, the business that I actually owned that, in terms of bottom line profit. But that 46000 could only be offset against any capital gains in the future. It can't mm -hmm. be offset against, cap, against income, against corporation tax. So that's another lesson I've learned um, for that reason. So, I think I think that's where we're, we're kind of at. Oh, Gordon. Okay. I was just going to say, we're going to cover the story with Gordon. I didn't think you were going to do it. Let's cover the disaster that happens next. Yeah. And I'm left holding the baby. Yeah. Literally. Not his fault, by the way. It's just the way the, the, way the, the, way the cards were dealt. That's it. Mm -hmm. Disaster that comes next. He's driving along. And he's going to an appointment to, to do, uh, and this was probably 2010, 2009 or thereabouts, driving along. Now, we're on our knees by this time financially. We're still struggling. Um, he's driving along to an appointment on the on the dual carriageway. I think it was the 92. Somebody comes up his backside in a car. Why, why do we need to do that on the 92? I do not know. It's a dual carriageway. And starts, and, and he was like... I don't know what the full story was, but but Gordon pulled in, which which he really shouldn't have done, 
but I don't know why he did it. He, he pulls in to a lay-by. This person pulls in at the back of him. Gordon gets out his car and says, what? And then the next minute, the boy attacks him. Just attacks him. And then apparently rips his ear off. And they don't bite, they don't bite the top of the ear. Or what, I, I don't know. Well, this is what happened when he, he had a Bluetooth on, a headset. Mm-hmm. And we had the, we had assumed that the boy had, he goes, Gordon says, I'm going to phone. And he went, you'll not be phoning anybody. And he thinks, you know what happens if, you know, the shock, you don't remember. It just yeah. goes into kind of blanket out, yeah. Your mind protects you. Ripped his ear and took half his ear off. When he got to the infirmary, they confirmed it was actually a bite mark and the guy bit half his ear off. And he literally said, if you say anything to anybody, I'm going to kill you. And that was it. Yeah. That was that was that was the end for for Gordon and, and his career as a, an estate agent and things. And that's a yeah. shame. That was the end. That was the end. Because it's like, oh my god, what? How psychologically? I, and I think, I think he's never got over it psychologically. Yeah. How will that affect you? And somebody actually biting half your ear off. You had to get cosmetic surgery to build it all back up, and it's you know it, it looks okay now. But it's going through all that trauma and then having to go to court and actually stand up and actually say that's the guy. Mm-hmm. And and it was the fear as well of having to go to a viewing and then that person could be in the same room as you when you appear to do the viewing with that person and they've maybe given a false name. So yeah. it was the fear of that as well with them saying, I'm going to kill you. It's, I mean, if somebody says I'm going to kill you and they've bitten half your ear off, you'll take it quite literally. Like, yeah. You're kind of more than likely they're going to kill you. Yeah. So that's it. Disappeared. Right? Paranoia, everything. It's like uh, completely understandable. Um, and and literally, it was, I've got to walk away. And mm-hmm. I'm left holding the baby yeah. all on my own now. Um, and to the stage that I actually ended up, I ended up just, look, I know what I wanted to do next. I won't know how I wanted this to grow. Um, there was a small shareholding still, and because I basically had to buy back some of his shares to keep us going because we had mm-hmm. to inject more money into the company all the time. And therefore, there's a small amount left. And I said, look, you know, to be honest, and I think he had approached me at the time as well and said, look, you know, I'll just buy you out, done and dusted. I'll, I'll carry it from here. I've got no choice but to keep this going because I've still got the contracts for the cars in my name, Garnator. I've still got the, finance, the, uh, um, the, the franchise contract in my name, Garnator. I've still got all the... Um, everything the else. All the, the leases. Yeah. We're still leasing premises. I've got a lease premises now in Cooper. I've got a lease premises in Leaven in my name. I've got um, uh, I've got the, the ownership of the, the Glenrothes office, which I still have to keep going as well. Um, I set up wrong in the first place, which was all done wrong, which financially had huge implications about extra costs I had to do. Stupidly, in hindsight, I should have done it differently. But I know what I should. I know what I've done now, and I have actually restructured the company in the right way. Yeah. But at the time, I had, I had the company in the wrong structure, um, and that's what caused a huge problem financially. And again, I had to keep going. Plus, the fact we need to live. Yeah, we we moved to a bigger house at this point in time. I've got to. I've got to feed a family. We've got more children. Incidentally, somebody actually came on, and they were on. They're on the news now, saying, you know, because of because of this cost of financial living crisis, uh, we can't have a family. We'll have to put it off plan for our family. Newsflash, welcome to the world. Yeah. Because literally that's what I had to do. Because Tony was born in 1993. 
And then we had to wait because we didn't have enough money to actually have Ben and Scott. Virtually, that's what we had to do as well. That's just the way the world works. Live with it. Play the cards you've been dealt with. That's probably the most important lesson I've learned out of that. Mm-hmm. Which is a valuable lesson, definitely. It probably is the most important lesson you would learn, uh, definitely. It's, uh, you just have to play the hand you dealt with. You can either complain about it or you can do something about it. Uh, one of the phrases, we're coming to the hour, so that's probably, well, mind you, we're, we're live streaming on every channel anyway, so it makes no difference now. Because you used to cut off with the hour with Instagram, because you can only upload Instagram for an hour. But we are now on Instagram anyway. So we're live on Instagram, and that will be saved on Instagram. So what I'd learned out of that, where was that? You were talking about not being able to have family because of the cost of living, the, the person that approached you about the cost of having extra children and building a family. Well, it's the extra children. Remember, we're having to keep all these costs going of a bigger house and all the rest of it, and the children coming along, and we're still earning no money. Mm-hmm. Thank God I had the property business because I still had income coming from the property, even though the property at that time was all devalued. Yeah, because of the, credit, the cash flow. Nobody would touch us. Like nobody. We were basically prior. We were the prior by all the banks, even though I still had a huge amount of equity in these properties. Even though the twenty percent had gone down, I still had built up a huge amount of equity. They would not touch us with a barge pole. Because we were property. It was literally the computer says no. Even though I couldn't even move things like I couldn't move a fixed rate loan, which is seven and a half percent, yet base rates were down at half a percent mm-hmm. and they wouldn't let me. And then I found out there was a there was a there was a um this is read the small print when you get loans, by the way, by the banks. I'd found out to exit it would cost me twenty five thousand pounds because it was a fixed rate loan and they had forward bought the money in the market. So in order to exit, and I was never told that in the beginning. If you want to get a different loan, you would have to pay us 25000 to buy out of this loan. What? You're having a laugh. So I'm going to stick at 7.5% at that time. And then as well, again, as I said, they wouldn't touch even our own, even our own mortgage on our house, the mortgage we've got right now, this very same mortgage, they wouldn't move it. They wouldn't move it onto a better deal at all because they weren't entertaining because none of the banks would entertain anybody with such a high investment in property because they weren't touching property. Literally, computer says no. (laughs) (laughs) That was literally it. Honestly, that's how we were were treated by the banks. You could have, now, I'll be honest, you could have a grievance against the banks for the rest of your life, but I hold no grudge. That's mm-hmm. the way it works. And I should have known this. And I should have understood where I am. And I've learned a lot of lessons by that. But remember, I am still with the same bank today doing corporate lending. And they're really good to deal with. You just have to understand. It's like the gingerbread man. You remember the story about the, the fox? And, it, oh, yeah. get on my back and I'll swim across the river, says the, the gingerbread. And the gingerbread woman, but you eat me. And the fox goes, no, I won't. He says, get on my back and I'll take you across the river. But you're going to eat me. And the fox goes, no, I won't. So he goes, okay, I'll get on your back. And the gingerbread man's getting taken across in the water to the other side of the river. And the fox goes, flick, flicks him in the air, takes a bite of him, lands on his back. He's going, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're eating me. You said you wouldn't eat me. Flicks him again. When he's a third, or two thirds of the way over, takes another bite of him, and there's just basically half the body left in the head, 
of the gingerbread man. He goes, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're eating me. You said you wouldn't eat me. And that's when the fox said, before he flicked him up for the final time and said, hey, I'm a fox. That's just what I do. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly how the bank worked. I'm a bank. That's just what I do. Don't listen to me. Just mitigate for the losses. Mitigate for the downside when you get involved with the banks. And understand how they work. They're going to protect themselves all the time. So you have yeah. to have some sort of plan B or plan C or plan D even to make sure that you're covered for that reason. It's important to make sure that you do that. That's probably the most important lesson I've learned about the banks. Understand them. I, I know, I, I know, I'll be honest as well. I, I'll be honest. I have seen so many of my friends and acquaintances in the credit crunch go to the wall and I've learned huge lessons by what, what's happened to them. Andy Shaw was one of them. Mm-hmm. Money for nothing and property for free. He wrote that book. Now, I've got a huge amount of content with that, by the way. I don't know if that's still available because he... You know, he stopped production of that. He lost 300 properties overnight. 300 properties. Because he had actually taken out 1% of the value every single year to live on. And used it. Yeah. yeah. That was his That was his strategy. He always assumed that property would go up in value. I mean, he was running about in Ferraris. You know, he. I remember seeing the video of him and his son going across to the Ferrari factory and actually picking up their custom made, because Ferrari custom make them for you. You go across for a fitting and everything and get fitted into the car, you know, all the rest of it. You get all your measurements taken and then you get the custom, you get the car built exactly to fit you. That's what, that's a Ferrari experience. Or maybe it's Lamborghini. Maybe it's both of them do that. So that's what he was doing, essentially. He was literally um, doing it and taking a 1% every single year of the, the value. And he'd been doing that for a long time. He maybe took out a bit more than what he expected. So when the market dropped, and the valuation dropped, the banks immediately said, we're overexposed to you, we're calling in your debt, your equity. Mm-hmm. In other yes. words, we want you to sell all these properties so we can get our money back to bring our liquidity in line with what the government and the financial services are actually saying. We come first. That's what the, that's what the banks are like. They are literally the fox. You are the gingerbread man. And that's a good example of when the tide when the tide goes out. <laughs> yeah, you better yeah. not be caught swimming naked. Yeah, I had another one, and and I'll tell you what I sat with and tears in her eyes, um, Elaine. And Elaine had literally, I could have feel emotional about it already, <laughs> just even thinking about it and going back to thinking about what that experience was like. Mm-hmm. Elaine was absolutely fantastic. Elaine had built up a really good portfolio, and she was she was a property flipper as yeah. well. She bought. She brought a, a, a really good portfolio she had built with the Clydesdale at that time, and it was to pass on to her children as a wee nest egg. Now, at that time, it was about two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand pounds worth of property, you know, in equity. Yeah. But literally, she was the next person on the pile because she had overexposed herself to the property market in terms of refurbishments, and she was caught swimming naked when the tide went out, and literally the property that she'd actually bought. And I know that because I've looked at the numbers where as well. She'd actually bought, she'd been overexposed to it. And this the, the property values dropped like a stone. And there she was left out, hung out to dry. And and the answer from the Clydesdale Bank when they called all our loans in and took all our property was, you're the next person on the pile. That's it. 
and, and they're, a bank, they're a bank and that's how they work so that's it they're a fox yeah up there you're next yeah so you can see the lessons you've learned over the years and and seen that remember this is this is all real time this is happening this is a combination of the pressure from century 21 the um no money coming in all these years um the embarrassment you live with and the anxiety nobody would tell anybody else nobody would discuss it with anybody else i don't think i even discussed it with lane didn't really want to put any pressure on her yeah so literally this is all let's stuff all this down <laughs> just keep pushing it down um i've got to say you know that was that's kind of my dad's scenario as well it's like you, know, things, yeah. you don't you don't share that with anybody else you just get on with it and suck it up <laughs> and, and, and bury it deep down for, for it to come out later on <laughs> so you can see you can yeah. you can you can easily see where that's heading uh you can easily see it. well for most people you can see where that's heading now mm -hmm. in hindsight i think that i think that's where and you got any questions about so far about where we are up to what stage? No, I think it's brought us to a good point. I think you were just obviously, I think you were building to end at the story with Gordon and Gordon exiting and then how that then had a, a further effect on you and in terms of the professional and your personal situation. So I'll be interested to listen to the next the next uh, episode on where things go for there because I think things, like you say, I was going to say three things are bubbling just under the surface with you because you've been pushing that all down. I, yeah, so that, that's probably a good place to finish today, and we'll pick up next Monday. Now let's answer questions. Then. We'll do questions. So yeah, stuff like that. give me a second. Give me a second. So next week we're going to talk about where we're going to go from here. This is what I talked about the other week about one of the darkest times when one yeah. of the one of my friends who was instrumental when we first started up, um, and we worked like you know we were we were like two peas in a pod. He had the money. He had the the building side. I had the property investment side. And he looked after he he looked after all my refurbishments, my improvements, and everything. And I left everything to him. And uh, he was actually a fantastic, Mark. Um, so I'm going to talk about that next week and what happened mm -hmm. to Mark, and literally almost what happened to me after that, um, and where I was. But I'm also going to talk about back to back um, in 2009. Yeah. 2009 back to back. I managed to buy six properties for forty thousand mm pounds. -hmm. What? <laughs> but I tell you what. I got the right information from the right person. Yeah. And I'll tell you who that person is because most people will know that person. And it's when they first started out. I went to one of their workshops for a weekend in Glasgow. The two guys, and I, and I tell you what, what they told me that week, that weekend, literally, literally secured a 700% return on investment for me. And I still have every single one of these properties today. 700% return on investment immediately. Way better than what a pension could ever give you. Yeah. And we still make money on that today, on this, on these properties, because I still have them. I don't see any need to chop down the tree that bears the fruit. Let's have some, let's, let's cover some uh, comments and, and suggestions. Just going to say, Jim, some people might not be familiar with what back-to-back -back is, but we'll, we'll cover it next week. It's not something you could do. Yeah, back -back, you, you, you can't do it. They were about to bring it back in again to you. I know, I know. <laughs> it's before the pandemic. And it's like, oh, yeah, beauty. It's coming back in. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> pandemic. Nailak. Um, 
We've got um, Gary says I'm available Aye. for an inheritance uh, jump. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> Gary. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna adopt you anytime soon. <laughs> and and he does actually say, "Is Gordon okay these days?" Yeah, I see, I, I see Gordon okay. Yeah, Gordon's fine. He, he's in the right place now. He's very happy in what he does. He's a, he's a fantastic guy. He he ra still raises a lot of a lot of things for Charlie. I know he does stuff for uh, where his wife. Uh, Gordon used to work with Mystique. Um, as an IT consultant on Mystique. Now, Mystique, for anybody that knows, is in one of these famous islands where where um, Mick Jagger now has houses. Mm -hmm. And he, I believe, Gordon used to be the IT consultant for like, Mick Jagger and people like that. <laughs> and, he, and he used to say to me, he says, I tell you what, most of the time, as an IT consultant, he says, usually 95% of the time, it was always just switch your computer off and switch it back on. <laughs> and it'll work and lo and behold it worked <laughs> he said I built a whole career in IT just telling people to switch the, switch switch the laptop on or switch the computer off and switch it back on and it works uh, that, that is one of the greatest things I, I tell you what he, he was a master and, he, and I'll be honest he probably is still a master in a state agency today there's nothing wild horses I don't think will ever bring him back to, to a state agency now I think he's extremely happy where he is uh, I've always, I've often said to him, uh, please, uh, would you like to come back? Um, uh, oh, uh, somebody said user, um, whatever it is. I have a property and can't put up my rent. It's a disgrace. Yeah, absolutely, I agree with you. Um, you can't put up your rent, Richard. From when? First of April, um, you could do the three percent increase, or if you would like to do further than that, you could do the six percent. But you do have to reapply to the to rent service and obviously prove that maybe your interest rates are higher, you've got uh, additional costs, like maybe you were talking about, um, obviously, um, factoring fees for buildings and things, or insurance costs have went up for you. You need to be able to prove that to do a 6%. Yeah, but it's easily proved, because most yeah. people have got a mortgage, their mortgage rates have gone up. I think up, thinking, yeah. though, by the time you've actually tried to work that out and tried to apply to the rent service, we'll be inundated, by the way, yeah, um, they're never they're going to get through a big backlog, and then they'll go, yeah, it's okay, you can increase your rent by six percent. But I think you'll still have to serve the notice, won't you? Or do, yeah, well, yeah. you get away with serving the notice and then applying for it. If you've got, if you're on the PRT, you still need to serve the notice, and it's a three months notice to the tenant, and you need the tenants to be in agreement with you that they're uh, happy with the rent increase as well. And they can they can apply to the tribunal to have it assessed, couldn't they? Yes. Yeah, still. So there's a whole there's even, a whole even at three percent, they can still do yeah. that. So yeah, they do six yeah. percent. Can you apply? Can you apply and say it's going to be six percent, but still apply to the rent assessor at the same time? Yes. Or do we not know the answer to that? I think I think you can. I mean, I would imagine that's the way of it. Um, maybe, maybe find out that question. I'll, maybe, I'll clarify that then. That'd be a really good one to actually um, find out for next week. Yeah, I'll get clarification on that. But I would imagine yeah. that's the way of it. But you never know. Okay. Uh, to, to do, I haven't put on my rent for five years, and Sturgeon has stopped us from putting up rents illegal. Well, you know, I'm, I know what I know how you feel. I kind of felt the same way. However, you've got to then look at it this way, and the fact that it's not her is doing it. It's actually it's uh, it's Patrick Harvey that's instigated this, right? Shona Robson, the housing the minister for the housing has actually advocated, not delegated to Patrick Harvey, who is a minister for tenants. Tenants, yeah. Not for landlords. So minister for tenants is in charge of actually setting the rent for the landlords or having control of that. 
there's a conflict interest there, but we have to live with with the hand you're dealt with. We've tried our best. We've got a we've got a concession to a degree, and it's from April onwards. It's going to be three percent, and you can actually upgrade, or you can do that. But it doesn't stop you in between rents, in between rents, to, to put your property to the market yeah. rent. But it can still be challenged, couldn't it? it still it can still be challenged by the rent assessor. You can still the tenant can still apply to the rent assessor, can't it? Even yeah, so, of course, yeah, yeah, and, and say if it's fair or not, and the rent assessor mm -hmm. will have to uh, do that at that time. Someone has to take on uh, the SMP to court over this rent freeze. Well, there is. Someone is taking the rent assessor, uh, the, the SNP or the government, the Scottish government, about the rent freeze. And it's Sal. So it's the Scottish Association of Landlords. And you can get Sal um, at any time, just Scottish Association of Landlords. If you're a landlord or an investor out there in property right now, you need to join Sal. We need to have some sort of union to push us forward and to have a universal one voice. Yeah, a united front. Yeah, a united front, and that has to be that has to be driven by Sal, because the government like to talk to one body, just as because they gave the excuse when I wrote to the government at the time, the ministers, mm -hmm. they said to me there was no one else to consult with. We were able to consult with the social housing provider, the social housing landlord, because they have a single body that represents them, and it's true. So they were able to agree a rent level with them, and then I said, and they said they didn't have one. For us, and I went. That is an absolute. That is not true at all. Um, there is Sal, which is the Scottish Association of Landlords, which they went. Oh my God, we never realised. Uh, by the way, that's your approved contractor for training landlords and accreditation. Oh my God, we never even thought about that. And then all of a sudden, Patrick Hardy emergency meeting with John Blackwood, and then suddenly after stonewalling them all that time, they then said, Oh well, we can agree to this. So see how that works. Yeah. Pressure all the time, but you need to become a member of SAL. It's important from a point of view that we need a universal one voice to represent us as landlords. Now, John is a great speaker and he is also a great debater. And he points out he points out things that are a lot more eloquently than I do. I tend to just wade in and go for the jugular. John's a lot more diplomatic in terms of what he's doing. And it's kind of it works because I weighed in from a lobbying point of view and I asked the all awkward questions that John probably doesn't want to answer, ask at all. Um, and then they go to him and then they agree something with him. So it's kind of a good cop, bad cop. Sort yeah. of thing. And it works very effectively. <laughs> yeah. So let's look after my tenants five years. Uh, are these are these Instagram or TikTok questions we're answering, Jim? Uh, this is just this is on TikTok. Um, you know, it's just oh, just basically. I, I, I could understand. You know, same thing about all the rest. Of it. Do you think now is a good time to buy in a current given situation? Uh, this is actually a really interesting question. Thank you so much for asking that, Inverness um, Digger Hire on TikTok. Do you think? Now is a good time to buy, given the current situation. Um, we're going to discuss that. Richard and I are going to discuss this in length and detail. We're actually Wednesday. working on the scripts now um, on the Wednesday show at uh, four o'clock. Three o'clock. Three o'clock. Think it's. It could be oh, three yes. or four o'clock. Just take on all these channels. We've got it. We will be broadcasting about. It. We're actually putting the script together right now, uh, and actually all the facts and details about is Vitalet really worth it. That's basically what the show is called. Yeah. Is Vitalet still worth it? So we are going to be talking about that in detail 
um, that specific subject on Wednesday at three o'clock. That's three o'clock. That's three o'clock. Just checked. Three o'clock. Rich checked. Land and building uh, transaction tax now six percent. Bad interest rate. Would you buy now or wait? Again, that's another question that I've been asked already. Now I was asked this question, and I will answer this on Wednesday as well. Uh, Davey, thanks for this question. Um, I've got thirty-five thousand out of one of my buy-to-lets ready to put into the next project. I was going to buy another buy-to-let, but the way the SNP Green Government are doing with the private landlords, I was thinking of investing the money into doing a house into doing a house up instead of buying another buy-to-let. Uh, just wanted to know what your thoughts were. Again, I'm going to answer that. We're going to answer that question on Wednesday, three o'clock on these channels. We will be streaming live on TikTok again. We'll be streaming live on Instagram and all the Facebook channels as well, YouTube as well, Twitter as well. Um, and and we will answer that question again uh, in detail and we'll yeah. give you the facts to back it up. We'll probably go through some scenarios as well. Now, I suggest if you're on TikTok or if you're on Instagram, you probably went to get to our YouTube channel when we're, we're streaming live because I will probably go through examples, uh, live examples on a spreadsheet which I'll be able to show on YouTube, but I won't be able to show on TikTok and I won't be able to show on Instagram and um, because we don't have the capacity to show to anything share else on, on these channels, to share screens. Um, so I suggest if you're actually wanting to know the answers, you want to see the numbers behind that, you want to see how we look at this and how we analyse it and how we minimise risk, you want to probably follow our YouTube channel. But again, as well, if you're into wealth creation, and you want to know more about this, and you really want a masterclass in wealth creation or in all sectors, um, by all means, tune into our Five Properties TV channel on on, um, on uh, uh, YouTube. So yeah. it's, five, it's at Five Properties TV, all one word, at Five Properties TV, YouTube. Uh, that is the channel. You've got the playlists, um, investment strategies, you've got Millionaire Mindset, and you've also got the Wealth Creation Show playlists as well, which talk about all the different things. Pure masterclass and how yeah. to develop a million easily out of wealth creation. Um, but remember, you've got to you've got to discipline and you've got to be consistent at it. You can't just think, I'm gonna be a millionaire, and it happens overnight. Uh, if you've got if you've done nothing towards doing that and you've taken no action towards doing that, you're just gonna be where you are right now. And if you if you like where you are right now, hey, good luck. If you enjoy it, I've got no qualms about that. But if you want something better out of life and you want something more for you, more importantly for your children, then probably this is the channel to, to tune into. That's the, that's essentially what I did it for. I always remember, here's the story, Richard, you've heard this before, and I've said it to you guys something times as well. It's like, I always remember my mentors used to talk to me back in early 2000s, also mid, well, mid 90s actually, early 90s, mid 90s. When I would speak to my mentors and they used to talk to me, they used to say, Jim, what is more important to you? Is it playing golf? Is it playing football? Is it going down the pub? Is it playing darts? Because I tell you what, when your son or your daughter comes to you, when you're a lot older and they're a lot older and they're ready to go to university or college or they're ready to start their new job, and maybe they need a bit of help getting a car or possibly need education or probably they need rent as well to pay and they can't afford to go to university all on their own and they have to, you have to help out. If you don't have that money at that point in time, 
you could always take them to your room and say, well, I don't, I can't really afford that because I really, I really never put the effort in in the early days to allow this to happen. But come and look at my trophies <laughs> that I won for darts. Come and look at my trophies that I won for darts and for amateur football and for the golf. It's like, that's not going to pay the bills, is it, Jim? <laughs> and literally, that is the story I remember and it emblazoned in my mind out of the people that are associated with and the books that I read and the mentors that I learned from and the functions that I attended in the mid, the early to mid-90s. That's the stories I always remember. You know, you, you, I would be, I'd, be, I'd be embarrassed, you know, to, oh, sorry, can't help you out. It's mm -hmm. like, but what happened to all these, oh, well, I, I kind of pissed it up against the wall. <laughs> I had a great time, <laughs> but you're not going to uni. <laughs> you're not yeah. going to uni, and you're, I'm not going to help you with a car because I ain't got any money because I pissed all up against the wall. Mm -hmm. I had a great holiday, but I know how you because when you think about it, look at it this way, and I'm only preaching myself here. I kind of think I had children. It's my responsibility to look after them and see the right for the rest of their life. And this thing about, you know, people say they're an adult in their own right now, they should find their way in the world. Uh, that's probably because you're broke and you can't afford to look after them or help them out. Um, and that's the excuse you tell yourself. Because if you had the money to do it, you would probably help them. It's just that, you know, you don't want to face facts. And that's what I'd be like. I wouldn't want to face facts at the fact that I did piss it up all against the wall. And I never wanted to get to that stage and I never wanted to feel like that. Hence the reason why I did that. And I, I made the joke last week. It's like, it's funny how my, my two sons and my daughter and my wife have all got new cars at St. Louis. <laughs> <You've not. laughs> but I don't want all these things, you know, and they probably don't want all these things either. But I kind of thought, if he get, he's got a new job and it's like, to get to his job back forward, it makes it a lot easier for him. And and we, we tried the cheap gate attitude about, let's buy you, you know, a, a car that you can do up and all the rest of it. It takes mm -hmm. Too blooming long. You know, we've got it in at the garage. There's always something wrong with it. So I'm kind of a big fan of buying nearly new. No, not brand new. Yeah. Aye, but nearly new because you're not paying the huge amount of VAT. It gets wiped off when you drive yeah. out the, the showroom. But you're actually getting a car that's going to last a good four or five years. Yeah. yeah. That, no, look at my DS, my DS3. How long have I had that? Um, well, I've, I've, mine's is 2000. 18, I've had, and you've had that lot. You've had your one longer. Seven I've years had that, the year before. I've had that DSP yeah. six years. Aye, must be there. Do you think that was a good buy? Yeah. They're good now, running. We rented that for the first couple of years, and then I got mm -hmm. an opportunity to buy it at a knockdown price, and I thought, wow, this makes sense. It's going to cost me a fortune. It's going to cost me a fortune to rebrand a new car. It's going to cost me a fortune to hand this back and take off the existing uh, templates. It's going to cost at least two and a half grand. They're offering it for six and a half. And not the two and a half grand off it's going to cost me to do that. I'm literally buying this for four grand. Mm -hmm. Four grand for a two-year-old car. Hello? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't take a McFly to work that one out, eh? But it's easy to think to myself, yes. oh, I deserve a new car. I deserve it. Let's just get another one because I can afford 150 quid a month. We've even got the one the now that were the Hyundai. I mean, Hyundai is like down to £229 a month mm -hmm. to rent it. And we're four, four years in. It's going to cost me four, 11 and a half grand to buy it. And it's like for 229 quid a month to rent that car and be tax deductible against your income. Yeah. 
And literally, that's about, what, under £3,000 a year to have a car, which is actually fully maintained, by the way, because it's a maintenance contract as well, is a no-brainer to me. Why would I want to own it then and, pay, and, and fork out eleven and a half grand to buy it? That that makes no sense. That's double that makes it, yeah, yeah. So it's all about this is you remember this is all about wealth creation again. This is all about thinking about you know the the cost thinking of, time and planning cost time. of buying against the cost of releasing, and then after after a year I can hand it back still if I don't really need it because it could be surplus to requirements. It, it probably won't be to be honest. Uh, or then after a year I can buy it, or I could just rehire it for another year. I mean, it's a win-win situation having it like that. Then out, um, I would. Say. So, so it's, it's a thinking and planning process as well. See what I mean? We're back to time for thinking, yeah. time for planning. That's what you need to do as a as a business owner. You need to do that. If you just want to swing a hammer, what most people want to do, and you know, we talked about the other week as well. Yeah. If you just want to swing a hammer, in other words, I just want to, I just wanted fat kitchens. I don't want to run the business. I don't want to hire the staff. I don't want to do the billing. I don't want to do the accounts. I don't want to do the quoting and all the rest of it. Then stick to being an employee. Yeah. If you want the heartache and the hassle and you know all the stress and working seven days a week, working 160 hours a year, thinking about we thinking about it all the time, then run your own business. Be prepared for that though. Yeah. Mentally. Okay. But, uh, that's it. I, know, I think that's quite a good we've done a full circle there we started with uh, the importance of thinking and planning and we finished there as well um, yeah. we will pick up next Monday at 12.30 and the journey obviously and the next episode and how you move forward from um, where you finished up today Jim and also a good uh, follow on for the questions and things for day, today is is Vitalet really worth it we'll be talking about that on Wednesday live at 3pm alright right, Jim that was great thanks everybody for listening and the questions we'll see Bye -bye. you Wednesday Bye-bye to everybody on TikTok and Instagram. I'm finished.